This is like my favorite morning of the year, um, other than Christmas, I think. Anytime anybody's going to give me an extra hour's sleep just for living is cool with me. Um, I noticed, too, like everybody's more awake, so it's feeling uh, pretty good. Well, I came across this story the other day. I want to read it to you just a little bit. Um, this is from Mumbai, India. Hundreds of Indian girls whose name mean unwanted in Hindi chose new names Saturday for a fresh start in life. A central Indian district held a, a renaming ceremony. It hopes will give the girls new dignity and help fight widespread gender discrimination that gives India a skewed gender ratio with far more boys than girls. The girls wearing their best outfits with barrettes, braids, and bows in their hair lined up to receive certificates with their new names along with small flower bouquets from Sitara, district officials in, the, uh, in a local state there. In shedding names like Nakusa or Nakushi, which mean unwanted in Hindi, some girls chose to name themselves after Bollywood stars or Hindu goddesses. Some just wanted traditional names with happier meanings, such as prosperous, beautiful, and good. One girl said, now in, my, my, now in school, my classmates and friends will be calling me by this new name, and that makes me very happy. She, she chose the name Ashmita, which means very tough or rock hard in Hindi. Um, we have this uh, concept of, of, of new names. So like when, when Courtney and I got married, she had to change her name to, to my last name, which I felt a, a small sense of victory over that. I was like, yes. Um, but but even, if, even if we just have our normal name, even if we're not married, we still are, are familiar with this concept. Like, so you have your name, uh, which means something, but you also are, are a son or a daughter. Or when you get married, you become a wife or a husband. Or when you have children, you become a, a, a mother and a father. And with all of those names, there's implications. Uh, there's, there's things that are different in your life. And that's what happens um, when you get these new kind of uh, distinctions, these new um, characteristics. Now, many times in the Bible, um, people will encounter God. And their circumstances, their experiences in life will completely change. But even sometimes, th their very name will change. Not only their situation, but their identification. They'll go by a new name. Today we're going to look at three guys in the New Testament. Uh, three guys who, who, who were living one story, were living one way. And they met Jesus, they met Him, and their lives were changed forever. But also they started going by a new name. We're going to look at that and look at how uh, God changed their story and how the, the, the old, which was, which was a part of their old name, becomes the new, which is a part of their new name. Let's pray real quick. Father, we thank you for today. God, you're good to us. Lord, we thank you that we can gather here this morning. God, we thank you for your forgiveness. God, that we have all fallen short in your sight. God, that you alone are holy and good. Lord God, we pray you'll speak to us in this place, God. That your Holy Spirit would be present, God. And that we would uh, seek to know you, to humble our hearts before your word. Look, God, we love you. Shanae, we pray. Amen. All right. Um, how many of you guys like seafood? Yeah? Most people. I find that most normal people enjoy seafood. Um, I, on the other hand, I like the idea of seafood. So, like, the idea of getting something freshly caught that just tastes fresh, to me, sounds so appealing. The only problem I have with seafood is that it tastes like the ocean. So to me, if I wanted to eat seafood, I should just get a cup, go to the beach, just go to the shore, just take a big, nice swig of, you know, whatever's in there and just drink it. Um, that's what seafood tastes like to me. 
Um, on our honeymoon, like, we were, Courtney and I were eating fish, and, and she basically said to me, if you don't like this, you don't like seafood. And I tried it, and lo and behold, I'm not a seafood eater. So uh, most of you guys like seafood, and you're sitting there shaking your head at me, but I have the microphone, so that's a fundamental problem for you. Now, fishing. Any of you guys like fishing? Yes, 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 yes. Any women like fishing? Okay, all right, all right. This, just wanted to check on that. Yeah, yeah, all right. So again, we're not going to talk all about things I have problems with, but we're going to start that again. So fishing. A couple fundamental problems with fishing. Okay, so the first thing, um, there's a couple things that are fun about fishing, right? Like mainly catching fish. And that's about it, uh, if we're being honest. Like, I know some of you guys enjoy the serenity and the calm of just sitting there on the open water. uh, But fishing is really not that fun, if we're being honest. I know people over here are shaking their head at me. But the the problem, I have a couple things with fishing. Um, So you, you, you take this, like, this squirmy worm and you just impale it on this hook... And then you're going to throw it in the water, right? And so usually I'm the guy getting my hooks stuck in trees and in, in people's backs and all sorts of other places. Uh, I, I've definitely hooked a couple of my friends uh, while fishing. So uh, for, you can see where this is going. I'm totally that guy when it comes to fishing. Um, but you have this worm and you throw it in. And then if you are lucky enough to catch a fish, you've got this like squirmy, scaly, disgusting thing impaled on a hook. And what do you have to do with it? You have to take it off. You have to, like, get the hook out of its mouth. And then what happens? You throw it back. Now, see, in my world, I beat that fish. I won. I'm keeping it. I don't care how big it is. I'm keeping that fish. But you throw it back. You know, I know some of you guys catch big fish. But for me, it's never, never been that way. So I throw the fish back. So that's one of my problems with fishing. The second problem, um, and this, this goes back to something I said before, how this is one of my favorite mornings of the year. It's like Christmas to me. I'm not a morning person. People that go fishing wake up before God wakes up in the morning. Like, seriously, there is only one four o'clock in any given day, right? Like, but, but you people go fishing are getting up. I don't know what's wrong with you. And so this, again, a fundamental problem with fishing is the hour that you have to wake up. Um, so in Luke chapter 5, Jesus is going to meet a fisherman named Simon. Let's look at this. Luke chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1. All right, he says, one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. So this guy, Simon, is a fisherman. And as we've established, the time to go fishing is early in the morning. There is a reason for this. It's not just because these people um, don't like themselves and they like to get up at, at odd hours in the morning. The fish are closest to the surface right before sunrise. And so that's, that's probably the best time to fish. And so this guy, Simon, had been fishing all, all early morning, you know, till the daylight hours. And then he had encountered Jesus. And Jesus comes to him, he just, I, like, I don't know how this went down. Like, Jesus just gets in his boat, and he's like, hey, go ahead and row out. And this guy's sitting there looking at Jesus like, okay, man. Like, like Jesus just basically, like, carjacked this dude. Um, and so he takes his boat, they go out into the uh, water, and so Jesus has been teaching. And, and after he's done teaching, he turns to Simon, and he says, hey, uh, go ahead and put your nets out for a catch. Now, we all know people like this. 
Uh, because Jesus is a carpenter. He clearly knows everything there is to know about fishing. Am I right? And we all know people like this in our lives that, that seem to know everything about everything we're doing. And like, oh, really? Yeah, you, you know that? But see, Simon had been sitting under Jesus' teaching, so he recognized that maybe this guy had, had some authority. But I want you to understand a couple more things. Um, Peter had been cleaning the nets, untangling them. This is a long process. This isn't just like, okay, we'll do that again. Um, the, the two sunniest books we have in the Bible, Job and Ecclesiastes, will describe this process of untangling nets um, and, and equate it with the futility of human existence. And so here's Jesus, son of God, coming to Peter, mere mortal, and saying, okay, you are, are toiling away in your futility, and now uh, you have, uh, you've finished cleaning your nets, so I want you to do it again. So you're going to throw out your nets. But Simon responds. He obeys. And look at what he says here in verse 5. He says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you're a carpenter, uh, we will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their, be- their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. It, it's interesting in the Bible, a lot of times, people's response to Jesus is not man, or, or God, when they meet him and kind of see him for who he is, is not, oh my gosh, God is so amazing and loving. It's like, don't kill me, please. Um, that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And so Simon was a fisherman. Um, and if you know anything about fishing, you know that like, if you go fishing and you touch the fish, your hands smell for like, like weeks after, right? Like that smell will just not go away. I don't care what kind of industrial strength lava soap you use. It just stays there. And so Simon, he, he works this occupation where he just kind of stinks a little bit. Like, he, he has to get up, like, I don't, care, I don't care what kind of temperature water you're getting in. If you're getting in, like, a kiddie pool at 3 in the morning, it's cold. Like, it doesn't matter what month it is. It doesn't matter what season it is. If you're getting in the water, and oftentimes they would, they would work in these pairs, these two boats, and they would put the nets between them, and these nets would get tangled. And so Simon or the other fishermen would have to jump into the water and untangle these nets as they were working. Um, it's a hard life that Simon leads. But here Jesus is coming into a situation. He's saying, Simon, throw down your nets. And they respond. They're obedient. And then they catch just a ton of fish. And then he says, he says to him, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Jesus reorients Simon's whole life. He says, what you've been doing, this fishing thing is not bad. You know, I think of it like this. For a lot of us, we it's almost like a spectator sport, this whole Christianity thing. Like, how many of you guys refer to your team as we? Yep, uh-huh. Um, that's okay, I, I think I do it too. Uh, but, you know, you wear the jersey, and, and you say, we're going to win today. And if you're an Eagles fan, that's probably not going to happen. Cause you... <laughs> I kind of like the Eagles now, i got to be honest. But Andy Reid, I don't know, I'm not too sure about him. But so you, you go to the game or you sit on your couch and you're wearing the jersey and it's like, we're going to win. Well, exactly what part are you playing in this? 
It's a fair question. Um, it's a fair question. Now, I'm not, I'm, I'm a sports addict, so I understand, like, I understand the whole concept. So I'm, I'm in with you guys. Like, uh, when Oklahoma's playing, I'm sitting there throwing things at the TV and uh, repenting later. But, but a lot of times we, we treat this whole Christian thing as kind of a spectator sport, right? Like, I can't, I, I don't preach. I don't sing songs. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know anything about the Bible. So clearly that's for them. And so we'll come watch them on Sunday mornings. We'll, we'll watch the people who do those things on Sunday mornings. But here Jesus is saying, hey, you're a fisherman. Now I'm going to make you fisher of men. I'm going to make you fish for people. Now that doesn't mean he's going to throw big nets in the water and pull out humans. Um, that's not exactly what's going to happen there. But he's saying, what you've been doing, Peter, is good. But maybe, maybe the problem is, is not the fishing, it's that you've just been fishing. You see, Peter was living his life without any sort of purpose. He just kind of, like, he was fishing. And he got up every day, and he would get in the water, and he would do the thing. But then along comes this guy, Jesus, and he says, hey, I'm going to make you fish for people. I've got a new purpose, a new thing that you're going to do. And he reorients everything about Simon's life. Now in John chapter 1, this, this guy Simon, uh, Jesus is going to say to him, no, dude, you're, you're Simon, that's cool and all, but you're, you're Peter. You're Rocky. You know, it's basically what that means. He's saying, and, and this guy Simon Peter is going to become a, a rock in the church. He's going to become, he's going to stand up in Acts chapter 2 as, as the Holy Spirit is descending on these people and he's going to preach to the very people uh, that were responsible for, for Jesus' crucifixion. You see, Simon for a lot of times had just been fishing. But Peter, Peter understands that fishing is about something else. It's about the kingdom of God. And I wonder how many of us in here are just fishing. Like we just, we just do, like, it, it's all compartmentalized, so this isn't really, like, this has nothing to do with that. So, like, I work every day, but that has nothing to do with, with church. I go to school every day, but I don't see what that has to do with God. It's, we're, we're trying to put all these little things into, into our little boxes. But what Jesus says is, hey, fisherman, come here. I'm going to make you fish for people. And so maybe he's saying to you, like, hey, systems analyst dude, like, systems analyze some people over here. Or, you know, hey, stay-at-home mom, you know, uh, your, your, your motherhood, the, the things that I put you in, um, has something to do with the kingdom of God. And so Jesus comes to Simon, and he says, I'm going to make you fish for people. And how many of us are just fishing here today? In, in, in uh, verse 27 here, we see this guy named Levi, same chapter. It says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. That's pretty cool. Um, so this guy Levi, he's a tax collector. Not real well liked amongst his people. Um, and we have this, this idea of tax collectors. Yes, they took a little extra money off the top. Bad job by you. It seems like there's been this eternal struggle between man and the tax collector. Like, how many of you guys really like when the IRS calls? Like, yeah, you excited about that? Uh, you are? Okay. Um, no, we, we don't get really excited when the tax collectors call. And it seems like there's this, like, you know, enmity between us. Um, but Levi's a tax collector. And sure, he, he lived a life of, of leisure uh, to some extent. He, he, he was able to uh, provide for himself in, in means that we're not, you know, we're above the common man. But... Levi's uh, task goes beyond the fact that he would just cut a little bit off the top. You see, um, the, the, the people of Israel did not take too kindly to occupation. 
Um, so if there was a bunch of bums on their street, like in New York City, they would not be happy with that. Uh, setting up tents and, uh, yeah, okay. Occupy Jerusalem was not going well for them. Um, but here's the reason for that. As the people of God, they felt that, they were, um, that, that God had given them a special significance in the world. That God had placed them here. Uh, he'd given them a land um, to, to live in. And so these pagans, these Gentile oppressors, are, are dominating their land, are living where God has given them to live. And so that, that was the first reason people didn't take too kindly to, to tax collectors. Because who funds the government? Who funds the military? You do. Um, well, I mean, we actually, we just make up money now, I think. It's like, uh, yeah, we just, just another billion. Throw another billion on the, uh, on the presses, right? Uh, but that's a little political. Um, but we, we fund the government. And so the, the tax collectors are the people that are responsible for taking the money out of your pocket and giving it to the government, right? And so Levi um, was, was a guy, but he, he was looked on as kind of a traitor. Because how could an Israelite, how could somebody who, who is part of the people of God welcome this sort of occupation? Welcome these pagan Gentile oppressors into their, their promised land. And so Levi was, was a big part of this. And so he wasn't well liked. And, and the people would make sure that Levi knew that he was not well liked. Uh, they would say, look dude, there's going to be a day, there's going to be a meeting between you and God. And it's not going to go well for you, Levi. And, you know, Levi, this is the kind of the world that he lived in. But Jesus comes into his world here in Matthew, or Luke chapter 5, and he says, follow me. And look in verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so uh, Levi responds to Jesus' invitation to follow him. And he holds this big banquet for him. And, and there's these tax collectors and sinners, and you can see these teachers of the law looking in from the outside. They're like, hey, that, um, because what this would do is, is if you were somebody who was uh, part of right Israel, and you were living right, and you, you associated yourself with these people who were unclean, then you, in turn, became unclean. And so these people are, are eating with these tax collectors and these sinners. And they ask, why? Why do you do that? And Jesus' answer, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. And so, uh, Levi's whole orientation is changed, just like Simon's was. You see, before, Levi had been living kind of, kind of on his own. Like, he's outside the will of God. He knows it. Like, the people keep telling him that he's outside of it. Um, but notice, his, his, the thing that turns him around is not, hey, Levi, you've got all these sins in your life. Like, like they just keep beating that into him. No, it's Jesus coming and saying, follow him. And I wonder how many of us are kind of like Levi today. Uh, we, we might just be outside of God's will. Like, we may know that there's some sin in our life. Like, I'm sure Levi knew um, that, that the Roman uh, government was not the, the most uh, wholesome organization in the world. Um, their, their method of, of crowd control was crucifixion. I mean, don't mess with Rome, right? Like, or we'll hang you on, on a tree here. I'm sure Levi saw these things and realized that the thing that he was supporting was not necessarily godly. But Jesus comes to him and he says, follow me. 
And I wonder for how many of us, it's, it's, you know, maybe it's just that simple. Like, we've got some things in our life that God's trying to say, look, like, we can, we can deal with all that. But maybe you just need to, to, to lay down some things. Maybe you need to, to submit in some areas. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus acknowledges that, that these people here, these tax collectors, these, these sinners are in fact, like, that, that's kind of what they are. They're, they're sinning. They're outside of God's will. But Jesus is going to them. And notice they're all drawing near to Him. Because where the Gospel is preached, where, where God's kingdom is, is proclaimed, that's who's drawing near. It's not these, these self-righteous kind of people. It's, it's the people who need Jesus. And I wonder how many of us are like Levi. I think of my friend Bobby. And uh, Bobby's one of my best friends. Um, he lived a lot of his life just, you know, getting high, doing drugs, all that, you know, whatever story you want to write. Like, that was his story. He, he grew up without a father. Uh, so he just said, you know, he tells me now, he's like, man, I was just angry, like, a lot of the time. And, and Bobby lived most of his high school years this way and then um, had an encounter with Christ. His mom had become a Christian, but his mom, like, he was like, I'm not really sure, like, this whole God thing that she's doing. I don't really know what that is. Um, but she was praying for him every day. She was praying that he would come back to the Lord. And, and sure enough, like God meets Bobby uh, in, in, in such a real and, and amazing way. And, and my friend Bobby like, completely changes his life around. But you see, what happens is, when you, a lot of times when you're living outside of, of God's will, is you kind of want other people to do it with you. This is the reason, like, you know, like, when you're in high school, if some of you guys can think back that far, it's like, you know, hey, dude, we're going to party. Like, I'm going to get you drunk. It's like, why do these people always need somebody else to do it with them, is, is my question. And so Bobby had kind of been living in that world. Um, and, and he felt this real conviction that he had been, not only had he been kind of wrecking his own life, but he'd been kind of, kind of pulling other people down with him. And so uh, he would tell me about his friends in Nashville that he used to party with, that he used to do all these things with, and how, how now his heart broke for them. And uh, a couple weeks ago, I was, I was camping. I'm in the middle of Tennessee, the middle of nowhere. Uh, I'm not a camper. Um, I, I hang out with other people who camp, hoping they have the stuff I need to survive. Um, yes, so uh, this, is, this is how I roll. So I, I'm with Bobby. He's got all the stuff. Like, I literally have, like, a little backpack with a, a jacket in it or something. He's got this huge backpack on. And we go camping with some of his friends from Nashville. And we, we light a fire. And, and, guys, this just doesn't happen. Like, we're sitting around this fire uh, with these guys that he used to party and get drunk with, and they're talking about how God has changed their life. They're talking about how God has done something so uh, miraculous in their life. And, and to me, it was so, so amazing, because I, I know, like, Bobby's told me stories about these guys. God, Bobby's told me where these guys used to be. And God has come into their lives through, through Bobby, a lot of it, because he felt such a responsibility to tell them that, hey, you don't have to live like this anymore. And, and sitting around this fire, like, it was one of the most beautiful things. Like, like, guys don't just sit around and talk like this. It just doesn't happen that way. But for me, it was such a beautiful testimony of who God is, that he changes lives, and he meets Levi, and he says, you don't have to live like this anymore. You don't have to live in your sin anymore. Follow me. And Levi's like, that sounds pretty good. And so maybe some of you guys, like, like you, you're not like Levi. You know God. You're just kind of living against maybe what he would ask of you. Maybe for some of you, you don't know that God is not mad at you. That Jesus is calling those people who think that God would be mad at them to come close to him. Because it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. He says, follow me. 
In Acts chapter 1, Luke is listing the, the, the apostles, and he, he lists this guy named Matthew. This guy Matthew is going to write a gospel to the people of Israel. You see, the, the gospel of Matthew is so rich in Old Testament Jewish cultural things, Old Testament references. There's, there's pretty clear who the audience that Matthew is intending this for. And remember, the people that used to tell Levi that he was going to hell, basically, that God was going to meet him and it was going to be a, a, a pretty ugly day for him, is writing this gospel so that these people of Israel might come to understand that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah that they had been waiting for. And so God uses Levi, he uses Matthew's story, and he says, okay, like, we've got this thing down, now you're going to go tell them about who I am. And Matthew writes this gospel, Levi becomes Matthew. Levi's story was one of, you know, kind of whatever, like he's just living his life, he's living outside of God's plan. Matthew's story is one of knowing Christ, of bringing other people into saving knowledge of him. Maybe you're like Saul. You see, Saul gets a bad rap. People think that Saul was this kind of self-righteous punk. Like, he thought he was just really good. Um, and that's some of it, sure. But, but Saul didn't, that wasn't his whole thing. You know what I mean? Like, Saul didn't just think, hey, I'm good enough. You guys should be as good as me. No, Saul wanted the kingdom of God to come. For Saul, the kingdom of God coming was, was A, getting rid of Rome. Again, we have this Roman thing going on. Uh, was getting rid of the Gentile oppressors who dominated the people of Israel, much like in the Exodus, when the people of Israel left Egypt. Saul was waiting for a new Exodus. Saul was looking for a Messiah who would come and lead the armies of Israel against these, these pagans. And so people think that Saul was just like trying to tell everybody that he was good enough and that everybody should live this way. But what Saul was doing was, was he thought that these people who were following the name of Jesus were blasphemers. He thought that they were polluting the true people of God. And so in order for God to act on their behalf, he needed to expel these people who were blaspheming from, from their midst. It makes sense, right? Like, like in order uh, for God to do something for us, we have, to, we have to get these people out of here because they're not telling the, the, the truth about God. And so this was Saul's reasoning. This is why he persecuted the church so heavily. In Acts chapter 9, if you want to turn over there. We're going to see this man, Saul. He's going on a little walk. Starting in verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So this is, Saul's getting these letters that basically says you can arrest people. You know, because that's what he wants to do. Because these people are, are going against God's purposes, against his truth. Look in verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And notice what he asks here. He says, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. At this moment, Saul realizes that that the one that he's been looking for, this person that he's been waiting for, was in fact Jesus. This is all it takes for Saul. He understands that the one he's been waiting for was, has already come. And, and he asked the question, who are you? And as soon as he said Jesus, you know, it was one of those like, uh-oh. You know what I mean? And I, I wonder for how many of us, like, it, it's, not, it, it's not 
these things that we're struggling with, it's just that we're maybe wrong about who Jesus is. Like, we're trying to tell Jesus who he is, but, but Jesus is saying, I'm the Son of God, I'm the Messiah, and he's proclaimed that, and, and, and Saul didn't believe it, because, because Jesus didn't do the things that he thought Jesus should do as the Messiah. But here it says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And I wonder how many of us today are just maybe wrong about who Jesus is. Like, sure, this works itself out in many different ways. Like, okay, Jesus uh, forgives me of my sins, so I, I, I can, I can kind of do whatever I want. Jesus is, is, is trying to, to get me to heaven, so it's about punching my ticket. So once I accept, uh, you know, at least or at least just believe in who Jesus is and that he was alive and all that, um, then, then I'm good. Then I can just kind of live my life the way I want to. That if I'm a good person, like, I don't really need to know Jesus, but as long as I'm not as bad as that guy, like, like what's he going to do? Like, he's not going to welcome me into heaven with open arms? Like, maybe we just think wrongly about who Jesus is. Because Jesus says that, that I am Lord. Uh, and what that means is, is, is kind of all-encompassing term, that, that he is king, that he is the leader, that he's the boss. But a lot of times we're trying to, to maintain our control. You remember, you think back to Adam and Eve in the garden. I mean, what was their sin? Like, Satan was basically saying, look, like, if you eat this, you're going to be like God. So Adam and Eve were like, that sounds pretty cool. God seems pretty powerful. And, and a lot of times, this is how it works out in our life, right? Like, we're just trying to be like God. We want, we want to call the shots. We want to be in charge. And Jesus is saying, I'm Lord. You see, Saul didn't know who Jesus was. But Paul, on the other hand... Colossians chapter 1 is going to tell us a little bit about how Jesus is. You know, it's interesting, with, with Peter, Jesus gives him this new name. And he says, you're no longer Simon, you're Peter. With Levi and, and Saul, it's just this subtle change. Like all of a sudden, Luke just starts calling Levi Matthew. And same thing with Saul. He just starts calling him Paul. Like there's no like, Paul doesn't come out and you know, tweet that he's changing his name and all these things. It's just a simple... You know, but Paul realizes that he has a new distinction, a new identity. And Paul's going to tell us a little bit about who Jesus is. It's starting in verse 15. It's one of my favorite passages, so you probably hear me read it uh, quite a bit. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. This is Jesus. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Paul understands who Jesus is, because he's met Christ. He's let Jesus tell him who he is. And look, look at the language in there. God was pleased to have all his dwellness full in Christ through him to reconcile to himself all things. It's not just about being a good person. It's not just about uh, punching your ticket to some heaven down the road. No, Paul realizes that Jesus, Jesus' lordship, Jesus' um, call to follow him is about right now. And for many of us, for all of us, Jesus has, has spoken into our lives and he said, you're no longer who you used to be. John 15. I'm going to turn over there real fast. Jesus is talking to his disciples. 
He says in verse 14, You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus is saying that you're no longer servants. You no longer just created things in this world. That you're my friends. That I've shown you what, what life is about. I've shown you what it means to live in my kingdom. And everything that I've seen in heaven, everything that I've seen from the Father, I've shown to you. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul's going to say, look, you're no longer dead, you're alive. In Romans 6, he's going to describe how how sin leads us into slavery and death. And Paul's going to say, you're no longer living in that. That you you have a new life, a new heart within you. And that he's calling us um, to, to, to submit to his lordship. But in that, there is freedom. In Galatians chapter 3, he says you're no longer slaves, but you're heirs. A, a, a slave works and, 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 and doesn't really know he's just building something. He's just doing work, just doing labor. An heir um, is kind of the, the spoiled little kid that lives on the, on the farm, right? Like he gets all the stuff that's coming to him. Sons and daughters. And so, just as, as Jesus talked to these men, just as he encountered them in their lives, he's, Simon... He encountered Levi and Saul. He's coming to our life and he said, you're no longer servants, you're friends. You're no longer dead, you're alive. You're no longer slaves, but you're sons and your daughters. And so just as he's called us something new, he's identified us in a new way, he's called us to a new story. Paul's going to write the rest of that for us back in uh, Colossians chapter 1. He's going to say to him, verse 21, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the Gospel, this is the Gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. And so our story now is is one of God's inviting us, just as Jesus called us friends. Like we know what He's trying to, we we know His purposes, we know His plan because we've seen it in His Word, we've seen it revealed to us. And so God is inviting us to participate in what He's doing. And just as Colossians says that He's making peace through His blood shed on the cross, that He's redeeming all things. Like this is the story that God is calling us into. And so like, like Simon, we're no longer just fishing. Like It's not just like this has nothing to do with that. Like It's all about Christ. It's all about Him. Well, for like Levi, it's no longer about living in opposition to God's will because we're no longer dead, but He's made us alive. If we're like Saul, he, we can see that God has, has made us uh, to know Him, to know who He is. And He's shown that to us. But if we're... If we're uh, Comfortable if we're, if we're content to just say, no, God, I don't really want that. We're missing the point. Like, it, it, church is, is so much more than, than an hour on Sunday morning. Church is so much more than um, what we do here. And thank God for that, right? Like, this is a sad representation of who God is in a lot of ways. Church is you guys going into the, the, the business that you work in, the neighborhood that you live in, and serving other people. I want to read one more text in 1 John Chapter 3. And as I do this, I'm going to invite the, uh, the guys, to, the band to come back up and uh, they're going to lead us in a song. Starting in verse 10 of, of 1 John chapter 3. 
John is talking. He says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor anyone who does not love his brother. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth, and how we set our hearts at rest in in his presence. Wherever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. And John is saying, look, like there's, there's a hurting, dying world out there. And, and as, the, as the people of God, we have something. It's not just material things, but we have the knowledge of, of the truth of who God is. The, the knowledge of the truth that He's inviting the whole world to see Him for who He is. To see Him as Lord. And so, we have a responsibility. You have a part to play. You're not just wearing the church jersey and saying, go Craig. Yeah, preach. Anybody have a Craig Casey jersey? Craig does, I know. Uh, guys, your, your, sir, you know, your service to God, this is the time, like church is when we gather together and we focus on the cross and we're reminded of His redemption, of Him, it, we're, we're re-centered and we're refocused. We gather together to celebrate God's truth, His name, and love. But when you leave from here, like that's when it starts, Right? Like, that's, that's where it goes down. That's where the action happens. Like, really, it's, it's me and Craig sitting on the sidelines cheering you guys on and saying, yeah, like, I'm going to wear a, a Bill Herbert jersey or something. Because, guys, that's what this whole thing is about. It's not what happens in here. Because if what we do in here doesn't ever affect anything out there, then why are we here? It's a country club. God is calling us to live out His redemption, His truth in our lives. And for some of you, that starts maybe back a couple steps. Like you've got some things in your life, you're you're, you're living in opposition to maybe God's will. For others of you, it's just, you've just been fishing, and you need to maybe, all right, say, say God, like, all right, whatever I'm doing today, it's about you. It's about your kingdom. It's about your spirit. And for others of us, maybe it's just like, we're, we're like Saul. We just need to see God for who He is. We need to stop telling God who He should be and what He should do for us. And yeah, like He's going to do all these things for me. We need to let Jesus be Lord and say, this is who I am. We come now to a time we, we, we have every week where we, we give you an opportunity to respond in some way if God is, is, is moving in your heart. Um, and, and I want to just kind of put forth a couple uh, calls. If, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, maybe you think God's mad at you. And you realize today that he's not, that it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And that you've been trying to kind of manage all these things on your own. That he's, he's calling you. He's saying, follow me. That I affirm you. I love you. Maybe for some of you today, like you've just been kind of going through life. Like you just get up, you go to work, you go to school, you just kind of do whatever every day. And it doesn't seem like it has any sort of significance. And God is saying, look, you're not just fishing. Like you got something else. Like... 
we have an opportunity for you to respond. If you guys want to stand with me, I'm going to pray, wrap us up. If you feel like God is, is saying, look, you need to, to, to kind of have a point of contact, there's people over here at the cross who will pray for you. But let us be a people who, uh, who live out God's redemption, that we aren't just content uh, to, 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 to kind of have this comfortable, kind of, uh, kind of meaningless faith. Let's pray. God, you're good to us. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, as you change um, situations, as you, as you change lives, God, you also give us a, a new identity, God. That you call us uh, out, of, out of darkness into light, and that you're saying you're no longer dead, but you're alive. And what that means is that we can live in freedom for you, God. Lord God, we pray that as, as we leave this place, God, that we would understand that we are ministers of your redemption, God. That when people um, who, who don't know you want to know what you look like, they're looking at us, God, as your people. And God, that that weight, that responsibility uh, would weigh heavily on us. God, we pray that your spirit would be present in our lives, God, that we would glorify you with our actions, Lord. Lord, for those of you um, who don't know uh, God's love, Lord, I pray that, that you're knocking on people's hearts today, that you're changing lives even as we speak, Lord. Lord God, we love you. We praise you for your redemption. In your name we pray, amen. If you feel like God's asking you to respond, again, there's people over here that are going to pray with you. It's not to embarrass you. It's just kind of one of those steps of faith you take. Uh, we're going to sing a song. The words will be behind us here on the screen. Uh, let's sing. Let's, let's worship God for his redemption, for the things that he's, he's teaching us. But if you feel like you need to respond, there's also that opportunity. Let's sing together.